0: Now, David Fiorazzo.
1: Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. We've got a great program today for you, and I know you are going to be blessed not only by a powerful testimony, but you will be encouraged to fight the good fight, to trust God in all things, and just to understand the times we're living in and the importance of being engaged in culture and as Christians being effective. Instead of uh, comfortable. Um, Father in heaven, uh, lead us today. Holy Spirit, thank you for just, sur- we surrender to you. We thank you for leading us, promising to guide us into all truth. And please give us wisdom. Please um, encourage the hearts of those who are listening right now. Give them what they need, whether that's a reminder of the hope that we have, whether that's encouragement, whether that is a challenge or an uncomfortable truth that they have to deal with. Um, Lord, wake us up. Help us to redeem the time because we know uh, we are in the last days, Father, and the enemy is pulling out all the stops. So, Lord, uh, give us the strength we need just for today. Thank you for your faithfulness, and we lift up this hour to you. We pray that you'd be glorified and you'd speak through us in Jesus' name. Amen. Our guest today, we're welcoming first-time Dr. Scott Lively. He's an author and has advocated and modeled the biblical worldview as a writer, speaker, attorney, pastor, human rights consultant, and missionary for more than 30 years on five continents. He has an amazing testimony I can't wait to get to in a minute. Uh, We we share the goal with this ministry and what Scott is doing. We share his goal of restoring a Judeo-Christian consensus in America and advancing the biblical worldview. Around the globe, Scott Lively, welcome to Stand Up for the Truth, brother.
2: Oh, it's so great to be
1: here, David. Uh, it's so nice to have uh, met
2: you at the conference in uh, in Dallas. Yeah,
1: so let, let's talk about that conference and the purpose of that conference. I was so blessed by uh, this every every speaker there. Some of the men of Powerful. God, pastors that I met there, just humble men of God who really want to be about doing God's business and to encourage their conversations or or um, congregations. And by the way, uh, we can direct people to your presentation, which uh, was your personal testimony, and that is available on the Liberty Pastors uh, website. But Scott, your takeaway as a speaker, you spoke at America at the Crossroads in Dallas, Texas, um, about three-plus weeks ago. Your takeaway from that, were you encouraged by all the, the pastors that came and, and just the quality presentations that were presented that day?
2: No, it was excellent. Uh, and uh, we were essentially—this is really one of the first events in the, in the country since the fascist lockdowns uh, <laughs> yes. were put in. <laughs> and, uh, and to have this, that number of pa- pastors come together, stand up openly. Mm. We weren't wearing masks, we weren't social distancing, none of that nonsense. We were simply trusting God that, uh, that, that he was going to guide us, our steps, our minds, our voices, and that's what came out in that conference. Real Christian men who were standing up on the authority of God, mm. uh, exhorting uh, from his word Uh, to meet the challenge of the times uh, in this country, where we have a short window of opportunity remaining to preserve what the Founding Fathers established for us and what generations of Americans fought and died to preserve, and we are on the the brink of utter chaos Mm. as a result of allowing Marxists to usurp authority in this country, take the seats of power from, from, from coast to coast, in all the main institutions of our society, while the Church has allowed this to happen. Yeah. And this group of pastors was standing up and saying, no longer. We are going to take this country back. We are not going to be cowed by the power of the state. We are going to stand on the power of God, and we are going to force change in this society by His power.
1: Amen. And that's what the left is trying to do. They're trying to force change. They're trying to force a godless uh, system on America, not the way we were founded, not what our founders intended, not the way we've been living for most of our history. They're trying to force it. And you've got personal experience on the other side. as You've got a video testimony, 25 years of Antifa in America. But before we get into that, uh, Scott, where can people get your books and more resources? I know your website is scottlively.net. Uh, where can people That's get it. access to your books?
2: Uh, ScottLively.net is where everything is there. Look, I, as a ministry, I, you know, other people have different views, but for me, I don't engage in commerce to support my ministry. Everything I publish, I publish for free. It's available on my website. Mm. I have extensive free resources, including the six or seven different books that are that are there, some of them in progress, some of them completed, and it's all there. Just go to the website download it, distribute it, uh, and if you can, make a donation while you're there. But that's what I'm about, is advancing the cause of Christ, and uh, and I do that by just simply disseminating the information freely. Mm. So ScottLively.net is where to find all that.
1: Thank you, Scott. Now, before we... I just really can't wait to have our listeners hear your powerful testimony, which you shared at that conference, America at the Crossroads in Dallas, Um, But I first heard of you um, several years ago, possibly many years ago, when you were either running for office or or there was a battle going on between you and the LGBT, and you know how they play. They come out with the lies. They try to dig up dirt. They try to, um, well, intimidate Christians. Nobody knows
2: that better than me. Yeah, Share
1: share about that, please.
2: Yeah, this is—look, I was on the other side. I was a leftist. I, I oldest of six kids in a Catholic home in Western Massachusetts. My dad developed very severe mental illness when I was a young man. Uh, by the time I was 12, he was really starting to have problems. I retreated into alcoholism, became a 12-year-old alcoholic, discovered drugs at 14. I was an alcoholic and a drug addict for 16 years, total mm. bondage, wow. and not only bondage to substance abuse, but also to leftist thinking. I grew my hair longer than anybody else in my high school. I wore a button that said "Smash the State." Mm. I, I I dropped out in tenth grade. I finished my high school uh, credits and and, got, and graduated by going to an alternative free school called the King Philip Project. Uh, Twelve students and eight teachers, an, an experimental Marxist-style program. Wow! And so I spent years on the other side of these issues. And finally, in 1986, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ on my knees in a secular rehab center, and everything changed for me from that point forward. I, my mind was renewed, my, my thoughts were changed, and under the, the, uh, the tutelage of a, of a Bible-believing, four-square pastor in Portland, Oregon, my perspective on the things of the world completely changed, and I I switched sides. And ever since then, I've been standing for the truth of God as a Christian social activist in many, many, many different ways.
1: Now we see um, the left really coming out uh, in in all... Ways in all fronts really in this country leading up to this election because we stole the election, so to speak, in 2016 when everybody was surprised that Donald Trump came in or came on the scene, and now they are just letting out all the stops. And you mentioned you were in Portland at for a, a season and you were literally on the streets where Antifa has been rioting. <laughs> right. Share a little bit about that because people have a hard time understanding I mean, you are a, what most of us would consider a radical conversion, Scott. We're, we're like, no, oh, sure. my this goodness. the a St.
2: Paul experience. You know, <laughs> is, I had a Paul experience, Road to Damascus kind of thing. Mm. And that, look, 1977, after being in all kinds of trouble in Massachusetts, where I was born and raised, I ended up going to the West Coast to, 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 to Oregon because it had the most liberal drug laws in the whole country. And I hung out on the very streets where they're rioting right now. Some mm-hmm. of the very same people, the types of people wow. that—not uh, the individuals, but the types of people that mm-hmm. are engaging in the rioting—were mm-hmm. some of the people that I hung out with. And, uh, and you know, I was—I was, uh, know those streets like the back of my hand. And uh, so I also encountered, even uh, before and after I was converted to Christ— uh, I encountered the Antifa types, right, and and even saw in in Eugene, Oregon. Eugene, Oregon, is probably was called by the mayor of Eugene was called the Ant- the, the uh, Antifa capital of the world uh, back in oh, years ago. They had this is like 25 years ago. There were Antifa people walking around in Eugene carrying signs that said "Kill the Police," right? So this is nothing new, and except now they've been empowered. Uh, and they, if they've got the full backing of the entire leftist machine, uh, which is desperate beyond imagination in order to get rid of Donald Trump because he represents the end of their vision for a global socialist order. Hmm. He is the boulder in the path that they can't move. They haven't been able to do nothing that they have tried has moved him. And so they, it's, it's, they've all come out of the shadows now that's what we're seeing it's not like they haven't been there all along but ne- but they like to stay hidden they like to stay in the background where they can manipulate things where people don't know they don't like to turn the heat up so hot that the frog jumps out and that that's what's going on right now they they're so desperate that they cannot do they, they cannot shrink back anywhere they can't hide in the shadows they all have come out and they're doing everything that they possibly can to take down the, the, the system do to do whatever it takes to get rid of Trump, because it's he is the existential threat mm-hmm. that they cannot allow to remain.
1: Because he's in the way. I mean, the, the, he's the, in the, way. the it's a demonic uh, attack against Christ, the name of Christ, against the Judeo-Christian uh, foundings of America as a, as a country and as against Christians, but on the surface we're seeing it played out politically, with the Republicans and Democrats and Biden against Trump. But, Scott, we know, most of our listeners also, uh, they know this is a spiritual battle at its core. But how would you encourage the average Christian that—not the average Christian, just maybe the more mature Christian that gets it, that pays attention to Bible prophecy, that knows the Word of God, that wants to stand on the Word, but we all have friends or people we know who call on the name of Christ, who say they're Christian— but aren't involved in either voting or engaging in culture, or maybe they even lean liberal on some of these issues. What, what would you say to us, those who are listening, to reach these people because th- maybe they've been misinformed or maybe they formed a, a different worldview? Um, please share your thoughts on that, because that's a problem, the divide in the Church.
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's the, you have to determine if whether the person that you're talking to uh, is a Jew or a Greek. Right in the sense of the Scripture says that uh, that to uh, to the the Jews Christ was just a stumbling block, but to the Greeks he was foolishness, mm. uh, and that show that, that demonstrates that there is a there's two categories of people, mm. those who share the basic presuppositions of Christianity and those who to, to, for whom it's foreign, and many of the people that that uh, are call themselves Christians are really not Christians at all. Uh, you know, who knows, God only knows the hearts of the people, whether they're saved or not., yes. but in terms of what they that what they operate by, they in, rather than having biblical Christianity, they have what I call Christian flavored secular humanism that uh, that they may they have they may have some they may even go to church, do this or that or the other thing, but their actual their default setting in their mind is humanist, not Christian, and the two are irreconcilable and contradictory. And so uh, how do you know uh, whether a person is one or the other? It's, you can't know their heart, but you can, you can know where, they're, where they're, um, uh, their ideology is mm-hmm. just on a few basic things. And they, they, they come down to the things that the, that the Bible identifies as most central to human civilization. And really, it comes down to abortion and homosexuality. These are the issues that have defined the culture where so human sexual morality is the, uh, is, is the cutting edge, it's the, it's, and especially the LGBT agenda, that uh, that really, I believe, is the litmus test for whether a person has a biblical or humanist worldview. And, the, and that will sweep in a lot of people that may even think of themselves as conservative, but where they stand hmm. on that particular thing, that particular issue is, I believe, the litmus test. Now, the people that have a reprobate mind, who you don't even bother continue talk- talking with, if, uh, is uh, people that who can look at a picture of an aborted baby
3: mm.
2: and, can, and can continue to support abortion. That's a reprobate mind. Don't waste your time talking with a person who is so divorced from reality that that is normal to them. Mm. But people who are troubled in their hearts over what's going on like lot you know you you look at the bible what lot lot did no no one would think that lot was a righteous man but the bible calls him righteous lot why because he was vexed in his heart about what was going on in in the society in which he lived in that's the test that each person needs to take for themselves are you truly vexed in your heart about what the wicked are doing in the world today, or are you comfortable with it? And you're just staying out of the way because you just don't want to be sort of targeted by them. That's the dividing line, right? Mm-hmm. There. That's the sheep and the goats. If you're not willing to stand up for the truth, right? If, you're not, if you don't love your neighbors enough to be able to rescue them, to work to rescue them from the evil one and the deception that he, that he plies throughout every aspect of our society, then how can you how can you say you're a christian if you don't love your neighbor enough to stand up on their behalf to, to work to 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 bring them into the into the truth but you have to you at the same time you don't throw pearls before swine and how do you know if someone is a swine in the biblical sense it's whether they have an actual reprobate mind and you're just wasting your time speaking to them now those people may be able to be converted if they have some major crisis in their life but some of them won't and they'll end up being like the characterization you see in the book of Revelations, where God is has done everything that he can to get them to repent. And even when the bold judgments are being poured out on them, and they're chewing their tongues in anguish, mm. they refuse to repent and thereby be saved. So I know we're getting sort of a f- far afield in that, but this is spiritual warfare. yes. And that there is no distinction between the political and the spiritual. The political battle is the spiritual battle. Are you going to stand up for righteousness, or are you going to capitulate to the, to the deception of the world and adopt humanistic perspectives when they are directly in contradiction to the truth of God?
1: Boy, I love what you just said, Scott. The political battle is the spiritual battle. And in the next segment, we've got uh, three minutes before we have to take a break, but we're going to talk about masculine Christianity, something you've been writing on for years. But the political battle is the spiritual battle. Uh, Some of our listeners, in fact, I get more emails or messages from listeners asking me what can they say to their pastor or church leader to encourage them to talk about things that are going on in our culture, political, social, um, these political issues, right? They're moral issues. You just said the political battle is the spiritual battle. That's why I think you and I connect on this, because we have this heart that we need to reach people, and you can't divorce politics from biblical morality.
2: Well, what I would say to them is the thing that the, the thing that you need to say to your pastor to get them to change is to say, look, if you are not going to assist your congregation in dealing with the threats from the world that they have to face every single day, oh. then I am going to leave this church. Mm. because Because if you're not willing to help us deal with those things, you're not a good shepherd. No matter how well you may preach from the pulpit on the things that you think are important, all the rest of us are fighting every single day with, with, a, with a, uh, an evil agenda that is trying to enslave our children and false ways of thinking and to destroy our lives, uh, to force us into, situ- into situations in our workplaces where we can't even speak basic, simple truth without fear of being fired and all these other things that we face out there. And if you aren't willing, as a pastor, as our shepherd. To be able to stand up and give us guidance on how to cope with those things, then then we're going to go somewhere else mm. because it's this is too serious. Yes, for, for uh, it's too it's it's too serious for us to just simply sit back and uh, and pretend that those things don't matter.
1: Mm. Friends, if you're listening to this on a podcast and if you have the capability to rewind the last minute, minute and a half of what Scott Lively just shared. Please rewind that, type it out, get that to people on your social media. We need to encourage our pastors to engage. When we come back, we're gonna be talking about masculine Christianity. Unfortunately, the modern American church has rejected it and we we'll are talk more with Scott Lively on Stand Up For The Truth when we come back.
0: Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo.
1: We're talking with Scott Lively, doctor, pastor, author, Christian masculinity, the desperation of the left, and a whole lot more. Right now, we're going to continue where we left off in the first segment. We need to talk about what he means and what is meant by this idea of masculine Christianity. Scott, before we took a break, you said something that's so profound and powerful that we need to know how to articulate that when we challenge our church leaders today. Could you please uh, phrase that again for us?
2: Yes, well, Well. and this is a quote that I have at the very bottom of my email blast newsletters when I put them out, and anybody can get those by just contacting me, ScottLivelyMinistries at gmail.com. I'll put you on my list. But it's basically this, that a pastor who does not help his congregation to cope with the threats... Of the world, outside the church walls, is not a good shepherd, no matter how well he may otherwise preach the Bible from the pulpit."
1: Mm. And there are some great teachers out there that still do not address these issues that people need to hear their pastors speak about, but unfortunately, Scott, there are more churches and more pastors in America that the teaching is so Seeker sensitive and topical, and so it's just just fluff. And they do not address the yeah, issues. It's the milk
2: of the word. Yeah, right? milk. Now, yeah. for a brand new baby Christian needs the pure milk of the word. Right, it's Paul. Uh, but after you've you're you're no longer a baby, you need the meat of the word. And uh, if you got, go in the scripture and you look and see what the the, the milk of the word is defined as. It's actually the things that are hard teachings today in the Church, right? Go take a look, you know, do a, do a search in your Bible program for, uh, for, for the milk, uh, for the meat of the Word, and see what the Bible actually says Or the things that are milk that you should not be focused on anymore in the Church. Mm. It's talking about the fundamentals, it's talking about the, the very seeker-sensitive topics yes. are the things the Bible says don't teach on these except for babies and uh, and yet and a lot of the churches don't even do don't even do that they, the, the milky topics are even too much for them right They have stuff that's just sort of topical you know uh, culture oriented things that all feel good and fluffy
1: Yes and like we said. we've talked about a lot of that on this program and how the church growth movement in the 70s and 80s just blew, blew up into church, uh, building uh, programs, and the, you, you, in order to attract the world, you you kind of have to water down the the message and the Word a little bit to get people in here that would be offended by it. And then once you get in, you, you got to keep them, so you can't really give them the whole truth. But now let's talk about masculine Christianity. Scott, you've written about this. Yeah. There's an article on your website, and I want to quote you here. Um, Unfortunately, the modern American church, along with the majority of its leaders, has rejected masculinity in favor of and effeminate Christianity, and then you say in the next paragraph, where is the masculine Jesus of the Bible in the life of today's church? And you started off by saying something that I wish we could grasp or come back to, that Scripture teaches in Genesis that when God created man in his image, he created us male and female. Please describe masculine Christianity and what yeah, we're well, missing in today's church? Right, we're,
2: we are. That's the one flesh paradigm. Genesis one twenty seven and two twenty four. We're created in his image, two complementary halves of one whole, and then in two twenty four, therefore shall a man leave his family, cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That is the essence of what it means to be a human being. The one flesh paradigm: one man and one woman united uh, for their lifetime. Uh, in a monogamous relationship uh, in order for the procreation of children to, to follow them and carry on after them. Yes. And uh, now, th- that, that duality, that binary nature of humanity, of male and female, was demonstrated in the life of Jesus. And all of us have it. There's sort of like a scale of gender balance, where you have feminine qualities and traits on one, one, ex- one side, one pole, and the other pole, is a masculine qualities and traits, and that human beings, men and women, we live somewhere in the middle, close to the center, men having more masculine qualities, women having more feminine qualities, but enough of each in each of us that we can relate to the other side. And Jesus demonstrated that in his life. When he was acting, uh, demonstrating the feminine aspect of humanity, uh, it, the example was standing on the Mount of Olives saying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to hold you under my wings like a mother hen holds her chicks, <laughs> right? He was intentionally ev- invoking the imagery of, of, an, of an ultimately female, uh, feminine um, model. Mm-hmm. And then when he, he was demonstrating masculinity, he was more forceful and authoritative than any man, going into the temple courtyard and kicking over the, the money changers, uh, who, driving them out with, a, with a, a whip that he made with his own hands, right? So in the modern world, uh, the feminine part of Christianity is the safe part, and that's what the Church is really comfortable with, feeding the naked, I'm sorry, clothing the naked, well, you could feed the naked too, sure. but uh, <laughs> fe- feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, housing the homeless, etc., etc. All those ministries thrive. And uh, everybody wants to be involved in those because uh, you get all kinds of praise and glory. But standing up against the enemies of God, doing the things that the world ha- hates... see that the world doesn't hate it when you go out and feed the, the homeless, right? Mm-hmm. They they hate it when you stand up and, and say, "Sex between two men is an abomination before God," yes, right? Leviticus yes. eighteen twenty-two, mm-hmm. and the verse before that, "You shall not, you shall not sacrifice your children," right? And, the world hates it when you do that. That's masculine Christianity. Amen. Is to is to stand up assertively for the things of God, to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints, and that that's what's missing, and uh, and and the the failure of the church to to you know uh, use its masculine qualities. In defense of the gospel in the adva- in the defense of the church in the advancement of the cause of Christ in the world is the reason why things have disintegrated so badly mm. you, if you' if you are not uh, going into the places of darkness uh, you know how can you be salt and light what's the effectiveness of salt and light unless it's in the place where corruption is that's right right it' that only makes sense when light and salt only makes sense. At when it's in the presence of corruption and opposing it. That's what masculine Christianity is, and uh, that's what the essay is about uh, at scottlively.net.
1: Salt and light. Can you re- say that again in in the context that it was created for? In other words, no, don't keep it behind church walls. That is so profound, Scott. I, I really would love for you to say re- rephrase that or re- well, reemphasize that.
2: Well, that's what you know. We are told that's the the church is told we are supposed to be. We are salt and light. But the only reason that salt and light has any value, mm. and the reason if salt loses its savor, right, then it's good for nothing to, but to be thrown underfoot, right? Because and and how does it lose its savor? It's not being used. Mm. Salt is, is is a is a purifier. Light is a purifier. It only has validity. As a tool of God, when it's actually working actively against corruption,
3: mm,
2: yes. and that's what we're supposed to do. We're we're not supposed to be passive in the face of evil. We're supposed to overcome evil with good, and that's a you know the gates of hell will not prevail against us. The gates of hell uh, are not stationary, right? The gates of hell are principalities and powers. That's that's what gates means. It doesn't mean a door frame. Uh, When when the Bible is talking about OE gates, it's talking about the principalities and powers, the the political leadership of a walled city that would sit in the gates and essentially uh, engage in the control of commerce and all of those other things that took place there between the interface of the, the walled city and the outside world and that's where men are supposed to be. Women are designed to create the circle of love, the nest of the relationship of the uh, of the family, right? Where each of the children is 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 learns the basics of civilization in the arms of his mother. And the father, the husband, is to stand guard over that nest and to deal with the things outside the circle, yes. the threats that come from the world, Amen. to provide and protect for his brood. And that's what the, that's those images are are all through the Scripture, and they need to be in our hearts as well. These a man needs to stand up for what's right, or he's not really a man.
1: Amen. These are war-like images. This is like Ephesians 6, um, and of course Paul wrote that for a very important purpose, that we need the armor of God. If there was no battle, we wouldn't need the armor. But Scott, you also write in uh, Masculine Christianity on your website, scottlively.net, um, extra-biblical history is replete with examples of masculine Christianity. You talk about the period of the American Revolution. Yesterday we had Pastor Dan Fisher on talking about the black-robed regiment and the American Revolution, and you talk about God-fearing men who took up the sword to overthrow an unrighteous oppressor. I want to get your response to a message that came in on one of our posts. It says this. What does it mean? Now, this is from, I believe uh, this person is a Christian, but leans uh, toward the liberal and, uh, well, let me just read the question. So what does it mean for a Christian to go to war? What does that look like for you or me? Meaning today in America. So his defense is, well, I don't think war or Christians should go to war or talk about these ideas about, um, you know, standing up outside of church walls against like confronting the evil or the darkness. So what are your thoughts on that, Scott?
2: Well, uh, uh, in large part, this is the consequence of abandoning the Old Testament. Mm. Uh, And, you know, modern Christian, I do not even consider myself a Protestant anymore. Uh, I I identify myself as a pre-Catholic, small-c Catholic, first-century Christian who studies and follows the Bible from the perspective of the apostles,
3: hmm.
2: not from the perspective of theology and doctrines and dogma that's been developed over the centuries uh, by, uh, you know, later people who came along later. And from that perspective, the apostles had, did not shrink from the Old Testament. When Paul said, all Scripture is God-breathed, He was not talking about the New Testament. It had not been compiled yet. Half of it had not been written yet. Exactly. He was talking about the Old Testament, which is fully incorporated into Christianity in the form of principles of the law and the statutes that remain binding on us in a spiritual sense. Not We're not bound to the letter of the law, but we're bound to the spirit of the law, which is why Jesus said, you've heard it been said you must not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you even look on a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. He's saying the principle of the law supersedes the letter of the law, and you're bound to it. Uh, but at the same, by the same token, Christianity is to Judaism as adulthood is to childhood, and that uh, Christians— Uh, When we accept Christ, as was promised in the Old Testament, we worship God in spirit and in truth, no longer by the letter of the law under the supervision of the tutor, which is the Torah, that the Torah means the teaching, and that just as a child, is required to to follow strict rules, to learn by rote memorization, uh, and to remain subject to the authority of teachers, just as, as a graduation from that, you enter into adulthood and you make decisions for yourself. You don't enter into a, a mindset in which you, you abandon the principles of the law. No, you just enter into a form of liberty in which you are given the respect and honor of being able to make your own way in the world according to those principles. Hmm. That's what's going on here. And by, uh, by forgetting all of that. Um, we have ended up with what I call New Testament myopia, which is the inability to see anything outside of a few select teachings from the Gospels and mm. the epistles that are safe and comfortable for the pastors to do. You won't see, it won't be 1% of the pastors in America that can stand up in their pulpit and defend the extermination of the Canaanites by God in the Old Testament. And as a matter of fact, that the fact that the Marxists invented the social gospel and uh, in order to divorce the benevolence of Christianity from Jesus Christ himself, and then at the same time began challenging the Church on the hard-to-defend scriptures of the Old Testament, that began the, the stampede away from whole Bible Christianity into this New Testament myopia. Now a person who has the ability to correctly discern the teachings of the Old Testament has no problem being able to defend anything that comes from the Old Testament. It's easy to defend once you know the, once you have the Hebrew cultural perspective in, through which it makes makes good sense. but because we've lost that, we now are handicapped um, and uh, and and really have to our, our pastors have to stay within this small pool, Of acceptable doctrines uh, that you hear. You can walk into just about any church in America, uh, cold, without ever having been there before, and I can just about guarantee that in in 75 or 80 percent of the times, you're going to hear a sermon you've already heard before probably more than once. Yes. Because that's how Christianity has has sort of devolved uh, into just safe lessons, safe conduct, safe from the perspective of not want, wanting to take the consequences of being controversial. That's not Christianity! No. You know, you may, be, you may be, belong to Jesus Christ, because you have, you know, the, the Scripture's pretty clear, you know, that, uh, that, that by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior, you belong to Him. But that's just the beginning of the par- process of sanctification, where you are transformed over the course of your life uh, into being like Jesus himself, and Jesus did not shrink from the things of the world. He was very controversial, very confrontational. Oh, ye brood of vipers, right? You whitewashed sepulchers full of dead men's bones, right? These are words that came from the mouth of Jesus. This nicer-than-Jesus Jesus that's being preached by the, the liberal, like the leftist side of the mm. Christian spectrum, is not Jesus. You can't be saved by belief in a false Christ. And the false Christ, that the real Jesus Christ, is the Jesus of the actual Bible, not necessarily the Jesus that's coming out of the mouths of the people that are preaching about him on pulpits that do not stand on the truth.
1: Many amens. Uh, Pastor Scott Lively, we've got uh, this linked up at Stand today's podcast post where you can share this. It's called Masculine Christianity. There's also a link to an article we'll be talking about in the next segment called The Desperation of the Damned. And we're going to talk about the abortion battle, the Supreme Court... And Scott, uh, (laughs) we're just going to prepare you for what he's going to share about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. There's some history there about her support for abortion, her support for homosexuality, even before the ruling in 2015 came down. We'll talk uh, more with Scott Lively about that. But Scott, um, we only have a minute, actually 30 seconds. But we're going to come back and talk more about these things and maybe even COVID and how so many churches are still not up to speed yet. I know you have some strong thoughts on this issue, on the church needs to get back to being the church. Um, More with Dr. Scott Lively when we come back on Standard for the Truth. Remember to share this podcast on social media. It's one of the main ways it gets out there. Don't go anywhere.
0: Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Villarosa.
1: I'm with Pastor Scott Lively, and uh, we are really letting out some hard truths here today, reminding you of the whole counsel of God and, and the biblical worldview and how we should not only be preaching the gospel, standing on the truth of his word, but also confronting evil uh, shining a Light in the Darkness. Scott, you said, before we got back on the air here, um, you mentioned why you do what you do, and I'd love for you to share a little bit about that before we transition to the next topic.
2: Well, as a as a Christian man who understands masculine Christianity, um, uh, I do what I do. I fight the, the fight that I fight. I've opposed the wicked because I love them. I first love the truth, but I also love the people that I am opposing, And it is actually grave sin to to just simply turn your back on someone uh, who is manifesting such a complete disconnect with reality. Right. It, It doesn't mean that you that you throw pearls before swine and you continue trying to work with someone who is reprobate in their mind. But you always work with every person that you encounter. You present the truth to them in such a way that they can make an informed decision. About following Christ or not, and that that is, and 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 when when you're talking about people that are so far away from God in their conduct and behavior, sometimes that means forcing them to deal with the reality of where they're at, showing them, holding up the picture of the aborted baby to their face, and saying that that you know if you support this, that you are you have a reprobate mind, right? That is an act of love. That's not an act of hate. To tell people who, are, who are, indulge themselves in sexual perversion that, that the world is, is affirming them at everywhere they turn, to, to not speak the truth into their life and say, you know, well, God really doesn't approve of that, and he considers it an abomination, the harshest word of condemnation in Scripture, tueva, mm-hmm. right? If, if you, as, as it says, Ezekiel 3.18, if you see the wicked engaging in wickedness, right, then and you don't say anything to them to warn them of the consequences to, so that they actually can hear the truth and have the opportunity to be able to repent, then their guilt is on your head, right? Their blood is on your head mm. for not speaking the truth. That's what it means to be a watchman. Right? A lot of people out there, in fact, I've dealt with a couple of people that they, they actually use the watchman. They call him the watchman so-and-so, right? To be a watchman, that's the job. Says, that's what the passage is in Ezekiel, yes. uh, where that message is being taught. And, and, and every believer is, in essence, a watchman, because each one of us has been empowered by the God of the universe to speak on his behalf. Each one of us is an independent, sovereign creation of God, With the agency that God gives you, agency, I'm an attorney, the idea is is that agency is where you have the authority to speak on someone else's behalf, that's the law of agency. Every single Christian is an agent of God, the God of the universe, empowered to speak for him into the world, and the life-changing message of the gospel, the stark reality of what truth is compared to the falsehoods that other people believe, and that you have a duty to do that, whether or not you're going to feel uncomfortable about it, or even if you're going to take negative consequences for it. I've suffered some of the worst persecution that any Christian in America has ever faced because I've stood against the LGBT agenda, and these people are absolutely relentless. Yes, you've seen it. You've seen every yep. everybody listening to this has seen what they will do to somebody who opposes their agenda and nobody has opposed it more than i have but in a spirit of compassion and love i love people who are trapped in same sex attraction disorder i want more than anything for them to be to repent and to to be transformed from that i recognize that there are people who are in that lifestyle who do acknowledge that what they're doing is wrong yes, and do. that if they believe those people believe in jesus christ even though they're bound up in behavior that is harming them they are not wicked. They are, they are not given over to the devil. And God will continue, as long as any person who's dealing with any kind of sin aligns with the truth of God and says, even though I'm doing something I know is wrong, I still love and trust you, my Savior, Jesus Christ. Mm. That person is never going to be abandoned by, by Jesus Christ, right? I will never leave you or forsake you. He, he promised to mm. all of us And so that's the attitude of the heart that I have when I speak these tough issues, Mm -hmm. and I take these tough positions, and I suffer the consequences for it. But that's what masculine Christianity is. A man stands up for what's right, especially when he's taking care of his own family, and he does not shrink back if if in shrinking back that's going to allow any harm to come to the people that are under his uh, responsibility. And then those of us who have been given an even greater responsibility to speak truth into the society, right, and really that's all of us, but some of us have a specific focus on it, we are protected in that as well spiritually, but we will take consequences for speaking that truth. Just like John the Baptist, when he stood up to uh, Herod Antipas, uh, excuse me, uh, the, the, uh, yeah, Herod Antipas, uh, and got his head cut off, and Jesus said there's none greater in this world than John the Baptist. That's masculine Christianity, mm. and effeminate Christianity is the kind of Christianity you see of pastors running away. Who, you'll, they'll, they'll preach a sermon one Sunday from their pulpit, and they'll actually quote some scripture from the Bible, and then they'll get in the paper, right? And the newspaper will attack them, and the next thing you know, they're apologizing to the world for speaking the truth. That is mm. an abomination, we, we need to stand up for what's right, and we need to do it with being willing to take the consequences for doing that, because that's yes. what God wants from us. Yes. And He will protect us when we are standing for Him in the way that's, that, that God wants to protect us. The, the Romans 8.28 says that, uh, that uh, all things work together for our good, for those who love God, number one, and are called according to His purposes. Amen. And if those things are true in your life, nothing really can go wrong, because no matter what the world does to you, Nothing can be done without God's permission, and then if he He permits it, it's actually going to produce something better for you than what you
1: want for yourself. Amen. Thank you, Scott. Uh, before we run out of time, I just want to mention your books, The Prodigal Son Prophecy, Redeeming the Rainbow, which I think there's a lot of information in there that's pertinent to what we're going through in America, The Petros uh, Prophecy, The Pink Swastika, and a few others. But want to talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The Supreme Court seat. The left knows they can't win on their merit, on their godless socialist policies. So they are unwilling or they are willing now to unleash the full fury of their wrath and opposition on the country in order to gain power. Now, you say in your article their heroine, RBG is dead and Trump has the power and the will to replace her with a constitutionalist. Scott, I saw a picture in your newsletter of you standing outside the Supreme Court with a sign in 2015 uh, during that battle. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, before that case was decided, she had officiated at least one uh, same-sex marriage ceremony and others, but she's also a very staunch—she was a staunch feminist, very pro-abortion. Your thoughts, and we've got like six minutes left.
2: Yes, well, Ruth Bader Ginsburg— Uh, uh, should not be receiving any applause. I mean, look, I have sympathy for every person, uh, but uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a Torah-defying Jewess, right? I love the Jewish people. I'm very strongly pro-Israel, and some of my best friends are Messianic Jews, and I have Orthodox Jewish friends, too. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a Torah-defying Jewess who actually could be even characterized as worshipping The unclean things that the that the old testament uh prohibits abortion and homosexuality being the two key things she officiated over a same-sex wedding uh, so-called wedding in the supreme court itself
1: oh my goodness
2: right in the supreme court itself in 2013 and then in 2015 during the pendency of the obergefell case she performed another same-sex marriage While she was sitting on the bench as a justice of the Supreme Court with an ethical duty to portray impartiality to both defendants and uh, plaintiffs in every single case that comes before the court. What she did, along with Elena Kagan, who did the same thing, is, is they committed the most egregious breach of judicial ethics in the history of the Supreme Court, and they did it gleefully. And out in the open, and nobody called them on it, except me and a few people that went and stood in front of the Supreme Court saying Ginsburg and Kagan must recuse themselves in Obergefell. Now, even though she was on record in a previous case for having supported so-called gay marriage, right? that does not change the fact of her ethical duty to be impartial in the next case that came forward, because every single case – must be presumed under judicial ethics to have a unique question at hand that the judges have agreed to, to approach with a clean slate. Right? Otherwise, if there wasn't a, a unique question, then there would be no reason for the case because it had already been decided yes. under stare decisis. Decisis. There is no necessity to rehash the same question. Hmm. And so that's what she did. She doesn't deserve to be lauded by anybody. And, uh, and frankly, she's standing accountable to God right now because of the things that she did in her life, even though having been raised uh, as, a, as a Jew, she was active in the in, in Jewish congregation. Uh, she knows what the Torah says, and she chose to defy it and to devote her life to defying it.
3: Hmm. Not
2: just abortion and homosexuality, but the attack on the concept of patriarchy itself, yes. which is an essential tenet of both Judaism and Christianity uh, that's another thing that Christians have have capitulated on as well and so much of the church doesn't even, won't even talk about that but uh, but that's what's going on and uh, in the at the close of my uh, my uh, desperation of the damned article uh, is I quoted Shakespeare and uh, from Julius Caesar right that uh, you know when 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 they they've already reached what would seem to be the high point of their rioting and radicalism. But once Ginsburg died, all of a sudden, there is nothing left to restrain them at all. Right? It's cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war.
3: Hmm.
2: That's the quote from from Shakespeare. And that's where the left is at right now. Now, they think that's going to somehow benefit them. It's obviously not going to. I think Trump is going to win in a landslide, uh, unless the, the church stays home. If the church somehow gets convinced to oppose Trump, out of some misguided uh, humanistic perspectives of uh, that they've gotten through any of the mainstream media, uh, unless something like that happens, he's going to win handily, I believe. And, uh, and, and, and the window of reprieve that God granted us in 2016 is going to remain open for a little while longer uh, for us to reclaim uh, what the Founding Fathers bequeathed to us, right? a constitutional republic, madam, if you can
1: keep it, yes. Benjamin Franklin said. <laughs> Yes, this is very important. By the way, we've got like a minute and a half left with Pastor Scott Lively. And what defines the wicked and makes them so desperate is not the evil of their deeds, but their refusal to repent. I just quoted, uh, I think, one of the last paragraphs in that article, which we will put in today's blog post. Uh, Scott, I'm so glad we were able to work this out and get you on the air with us before this November election, because as you said, there is that possibility that some Christians possibly stay home because of whatever reason, Trump's past behavior, the way he speaks sometimes, his occasional profanity, whatever that might be. They ignore the policies. They ignore the Christian principles he has protected. They ignore what he has promoted as far as the things that the Trump administration has worked for in the past. He's the most pro-life president. We can go on down the list. But some still might stay home because they're looking at Personality, and they are ignorant to this, Look, this is, overall yeah, worldview it, you know, war.
2: David, yeah, this is this is where the, uh, the, the 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 whole Bible Christianity comes back in. The New Testament does not provide any guidance on dealing with politics at all. There isn't a single figure in the New Testament, and that's because there didn't need to be. Yes. There's an entire gigantic body of resources. Uh, for, for Christians to follow when it comes to dealing with the things of the world, and it's called the Old Testament. <laughs> now, it doesn't mean that some of those principles aren't sort of tempered by New Testament perspectives, but, but the guidance. And, and, for example, Trump is the perfect example. God never raised up a political figure that did not have serious flaws. It's because everybody's got serious flaws. And that's what uh, Trump is just like straight out of the pages of the Book of the Judges, and God is clearly blessed him and is being blessed by what he's doing in Israel, for example. Yes. And I think that uh, he's going to to hand him a landslide and the window's going to stay open. But if he doesn't, and say, let's say they take him down, we may very well look back in retrospect and, and believe that Donald Trump was the restrainer.
0: Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter now we wrap up today's stand up for the truth
1: well scott lively we want to just bring you back and just to say thank you for being with us today we're going to definitely connect with you again within a month but god bless you and we appreciate you taking the time to be with us on stand up for the truth
2: thank you brother god bless you scott lively.net for anybody that wants to follow me
1: all right we will be in touch now tomorrow we've got dr Corey miller coming on the podcast it's been a while since we've had him He's got a new book out. We'll be talking about Mormonism and more issues of apologetics. That's Corey Miller tomorrow on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, share the podcast. We appreciate you doing that. God bless you, and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.